The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the outlook for healthcare stocks and COVID treatments and vaccines. My guest is Josh Nathan Cases, Barron's Healthcare Reporter. Welcome, Josh. So glad to have you back on Barron's Live. Good to talk to you. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. So two weeks ago when we talked, COVID was raging again, it seemed. I knew a lot of people who had it. Demand for Paxlovid was soaring again. Where do things stand now? You know, we're still, I would say, in one of these uncertain moments. I think we talked about this last time. Cases seem to be flattening out on a nationwide level. Yesterday, they were up 4% over uh, a two-week period, though. Of course, who knows what the case count really means these days, given that you know the vast or some large proportion of people who who are positive only test positive on um, rapid at home tests, and, and those wouldn't be counted in these numbers. Um, you know, a better measure is hospitalizations, which are up twelve percent, but deaths are down two percent. You know, if if you look at the data broken out by region, uh, you know, the Northeast where the Omicron wave sort of hit first and hardest. Um, it has seen a, a slow decline in cases. There's an increase in the West. I think the most interesting thing right now is the change, the rapid, almost week-to-week change in the variant landscape, and that is, you know, which um, which strains of the virus are uh, thought to be making up the lion's share of, of active infections. The CDC, you know, r- right now it's all Omicron, but it's all different kinds of Omicron, you know, BA1, the original Omicron is basically extinct. Um, the dominant variant is now uh, BA2.12.1. You can call this just for our purposes, <laughs> the New York variant. This was a okay. variant that appeared a month or so ago in central New York and, and has spread very, very quickly. But, you know, I think that the, 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 the piece of this that people are focused most on this week is that the proportion of cases caused by BA4 and BA5 is growing. Now, these are versions of the Omicron strain uh, of the Omicron variant that first appeared in South Africa some number of weeks ago, um, where they drew a lot of concern because they led to a surge in cases in South Africa, even though you know many, many, many people in South Africa had gotten BA one. Um, uh, you know, the, so the the taken together BA four and BA five um, are thought by the CDC to account for about 13% of cases in the most recent period for which they've made these guesses. Um, and that's not great. You know, there's, again, as I say, worries that it can escape immunity or natural immunity from a BA1 infection. Uh, I think there's a thinking that BA4 and BA5 um, have, uh, you know, growth advantages over the the other Omicron subvariants. So, um, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, I think, the, the, the most worrying thing right now is the growth of BA4 and BA5, although it does seem like, at least in the Northeast, you know, the acute period that we've been in might be easing a little bit. But it seems like we are done with Omicron. 
or, well, these or are we these are all beyond the, we haven't moved beyond the omicron variant so well, these far. these are these are all omicron okay. these are all kinds of you know they I, I don't know why they've chosen to do this but uh you know we we had the, the early in the pan, <clears throat> excuse me early in the pandemic we were talking about variants with a uh, long complicated number letter names and they simplified it by referring to them as uh by by these greek letters um but now that virtually all of the circulating variants or subvariants of what was called Omicron, they've gone back to these complicated names. So it's a little bit hard to All right. To it's just nomenclature, but the bottom line is we are not done. Yeah. And, and, and the bottom line is that the, the, the Omicron subvariant that is now only about 13%, but is growing is one that, you know, people are a little bit concerned about in this country. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on future calls. Meantime, in the vaccine world, Pfizer and Moderna have really dominated the conversation. Novavax has been a smaller contender, but mostly an also-ran. And the company's been in the news a lot in the past week or so, but not necessarily for good reasons. I looked today, the shares were down 13%, and in fact, they're down 88% from their 52-week high. They were trading at a recent 43 what has gone wrong for Novavax and where does the company go from here? So Novavax, as many people will remember, is, has developed a protein-based vaccine. That, that's different than the messenger RNA-based vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and the adenoviral vector-based vaccines from AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. It's, it's a more traditional approach, uh, you know, closer to the flu vaccines that we get uh, every year. And that's attractive for a lot of reasons. Number one, for people who might be concerned about the, um, you know, the sort of new newness, the the novel nature of these new modalities, uh, it could provide some comfort, and, and that would be great if you could get more people vaccinated than are already vaccinated among some of the vaccine hesitant people. Also, the storage uh, restrictions, which were very extreme for the mRNA-based vaccines early in the pandemic, but have eased a little bit, are are easier for. Novavax, and they, they, people remember that early in 2021, they had some very positive data on their vaccine, but it hasn't, it hasn't been distributed widely. Less than a million doses have been distributed so far, according to the company around the world, and it hasn't received an authorization in the U.S. yet. Now, um, why that is a complicated story, it seems as though they've had manufacturing issues, among other things. It was a company that had never before produced a, a product um, similar to Moderna. Um, what happened recently, uh, this past week, is that the uh, the FDA's vaccine advisors met to consider the emergency use, use authorization request, and they voted in favor of of supporting it uh, unanimously. Um, you know, at the at the panel meeting uh, earlier this week, the advisors heard a presentation of data about the vaccine, and you know what they said was, "This sounds a lot like what we heard about Moderna and Pfizer when we first made the authorizations." Uh, over a year ago, and that is because uh, the data that, that Novavax was presenting was mostly or was entirely gathered before the Omicron wave. So, you know, they have that 90% efficacy number that Moderna and Pfizer did have at that point. They didn't have more updated numbers for a number of reasons. The advisors were not pleased about that, but um, but they did vote in favor of authorizing, and, and the stock went up a bit. What happened this morning was that it was, became clear that... Um, Although the FDA has indicated they probably will authorize this if they can. Uh, the Peter Marks, who's sort of the top vaccines guy at the FDA, said at the meeting this week 
that it's important to provide a non-mRNA-based COVID vaccine mm-hmm. to combat um, hesitancy. But, uh, you know, the FDA has raised a number of concerns about um, some changes that Novavax has made to its manufacturing process. And they basically have said they need to review the changes before issuing the EUA. Um, there was a JP Morgan note out yesterday, I think, that suggested that it could happen by mid-July. Um, you know, I think there's a number of complex issues that come up here uh, when you think about this. I mean, you know, one thing that, that's important to note is that this vaccine is designed, you know, around the, the original Wuhan strain. Obviously, that strain doesn't exist anymore. As we'll talk about in a moment, we're now in the midst of discussing whether the mRNA-based vaccines should be updated to protect against the strains that are actually circulating. You know, Novavax, the, the, the vaccine that they asked for authorization of, you know, wouldn't do that. Um, and it's not clear what would happen if the FDA indicates a preference for an updated vaccine booster in the fall. Um, you know, I think if, if you step back for a moment and think about the broader significance here, you know, this, this just adds, if, if Novavax is able to get the EUA and potentially the approval, you know, it creates some competition for these companies, but I think it's probably a longer term um, prospect. So what do you think of the stock at this level? Was it unfairly elevated? Has it now been unfairly depressed? Do you have any sense of that? I think that, look, Novavax needs to prove that it can produce large quantities of vaccine that the FDA will allow people to take. And I think that's why you've seen the pullback and the company hasn't done that yet. So, you know, if they do get the EUA, it'll be another thing. But I I think, you know, it, it, it seems prudent what... I mean, the, the market seems to be saying we're going to wait until we can really see this vaccine, um, you know, authorized in the U.S. And, uh-huh. and that'll, that'll be an important moment. I think on Wall Street, they call that a show me story. Right, right. You know, and this company, I think, is, you know, the, the, the execution here is, I think, disappointed a lot of investors. A lot of people think that their their vaccine is very good and it should be an option that's out there. It's just that the company's not been able to, and, you know, it's not trivial to figure out how to do that. I mean, it's very, they're, they're trying to do something incredibly right. hard. Um, right. And they've talked about their specific challenges being in developing these tests to validate the the vaccine, which, which is, you know, a very hard problem. Um, they just need to be able to do it to, to get the FDA to say yes. Got it. Okay. An interesting saga of Novavax. Moderna has also been in the news again, this time with an Omicron bivalent vaccine. Can you explain to us what does that mean and tell us what the company is actually working on. Yeah, so th- this is what I alluded to a moment ago. Um, uh, I mean, as people may recall, the current vaccines and boosters from Pfizer and Moderna are, you know, target the original Wuhan strain of the virus. And that strain does not circulate anymore. Right now we're seeing, you know, um, uh, Omicron variant, uh, Omicron subvariants um, circulating. So, the companies have for a while been developing these bivalent vaccines, bivalent boosters that would have, that would mix the original vaccine with a vaccine designed specifically to target, um, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the more recently circulating strains. The FDA, uh, sorry, Moderna has put out data this week about the vi- a bivalent vaccine that mixes Wuhan strain with a a version of the vaccine that targets BA1. And they said that looking at the antibody levels that it induces, it looks like it, it, it induces much higher antibody, it's stronger antibody responses to Omicron than the original booster does. That That's very good news. Now, 
The next step here is the most important one, which is that in two weeks, uh, the FDA is going to have a meeting with its vaccine advisors to talk about what strain they want the fall booster to protect against. Um, and the FDA has not decided they want a BA1 specific vaccine. And in fact, one could wonder if it looks as though, as we discussed a moment ago, you know, BA4 and BA5 could be dominant in the next few weeks or months. Um, and there are questions about cross protection between BA1 and BA4, BA5. The FDA may not actually want a BA1 specific vaccine. Now, Moderna said to us a number of weeks ago that no matter what uh, the FDA says at the June 28th meeting, they won't have time to design a new strain-specific vaccine before the fall rollout. Pfizer has indicated they think they maybe could, but uh, and, and the FDA has said that they've been assured by vaccine makers that it's possible to design a new strain-specific vaccine by um, by the fall after a decision on June 28th. So you know these next few weeks are key. I think Pfizer likely will have similar you know data from a similar study at some point. Well, I think people are waiting for. Um, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really, I mean, I think as I've said before on, on these calls, this seems to me to be one of the trickiest decisions that the FDA has to make. Um, and it really gets down to this basic question of can mRNA vaccines be updated quickly enough to keep up with this virus, which has an ability to, to mutate very, very quickly. I mean, if you had said, um, you know, two weeks ago through, I don't know, a month or two ago that a BA1 specific vaccine would be irrelevant by the fall. I think people would have been surprised, but that's not out of the question. Um, You've got two problems. First, you have to make a very good guess as to what the variant is that you're going to protect against, and then you have to get the vaccine made in time. Exactly. No, I think that's, I think you put it very well. And, and, you know, I think what we'll see over the course of this summer and, and fall and winter, you know, if it works, if whatever strain that the FDA selects and, it, it turn, results in a vaccine that's very productive, it will show that, you know, mRNA vaccines are the right choice moving forward. If they pick a strain and, uh, you know, it's it's not the right strain and the vaccine doesn't work very well, you know, there might be more of an emphasis on working towards uh, some sort of universal uh, COVID vaccine, which you would need to update on a strain-selected basis. We don't have that yet. So certainly for now, we're going to go with the best thing we have. We should also say, right, that CDC tries to do this every single year with the flu vaccine, and they're often quite wrong. So it is it is not trivial by any means. Definitely not. So how competitive would you say the vaccine landscape is these days, and how competitive might it become? Well, right. So, you know, one point is that, you know, there had been a lot of questions about whether the U.S. government was going to be able to buy vaccines for the fall. The Washington Post reported yesterday that, in fact, the Biden administration has reallocated um, other pandemic funds so that they now have $5 billion to spend on an updated COVID vaccine for the fall if necessary. So it won't be a commercial market in the short term in the U.S., which was something that Moderna was preparing for. And I imagine Pfizer was, too. You know, um, I think the, the important thing to, to note here is that, you know, if Novavax is able to get over the finish line and get an authorized product over the long term, you know, you, you could see them, you know, creating price competition here, um, you know, pricing their vaccine in a way that makes it hard for Moderna and Pfizer to raise their prices as the vaccine or as the pandemic moves into a more endemic phase. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I think that's one one big thing to watch out for. There were some analysts who called that out in notes over the past couple of days. Interesting. So before we leave the topic of COVID, I just wanted to ask you, I think the Jerusalem Post reported that Israel may actually be considering a fifth booster or a fifth COVID shot. Is that true? I haven't I haven't seen that, but, you know, um, I mean, you know, we, we've authorized four for yeah. certain populations and the people who got four, I'm sure will be able to get a fifth in the fall once this fall booster is ready. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I, you know, that as you know, we don't need to go into great detail here, but some of the messaging around the fourth mm -hmm. shot was not as strong as the messaging around the third shot, for example. Right. Um, but I imagine the messaging will be very strong around the fall booster, whatever the makeup ends up being. Right, right. Since this is still with us going into a third year. So just when we thought we were going to get rid of COVID or at least, um, you know, tamp it down quite a bit, along comes monkeypox, another virus that's raising concern. So tell us again, what is monkeypox and how is it treated and what are the experts saying about it these days? Yeah, you know, we spoke about this last time. Um, you know, this is a virus that ha hasn't been known for that long and certainly hasn't been known outside of parts of Africa for long at all. There was a previous outbreak in the U.S. in 2013 due to the import of the virus through, um, I think it was spread by pet prairie dogs. Um, but now there, there's a significant, if not, you know, a small but, but notable outbreak around the world. There's 40 cases in the U.S., confirmed right now. And as of Saturday, um, there are 780 cases around the world. I think there's a suspicion that those numbers are far lower than the actual numbers. Um, uh, you know, the, the, I think I think that the public health messaging here has been mixed. On the one hand, this is serious and should be taken seriously. On the other hand, people you know, shouldn't panic. This is not another COVID. People need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm and take appropriate precautions. But, um, but there, you know, we should need to be careful of stigma and also, you know, n not play it as some something it's not. Um, right. So th there are vaccines. Uh, Bavarian Nordic is a, is a company that sells um, an approved vaccine or that has a, an approved vaccine in the US called uh, Genios. There's a, another company called Emergent Biosolutions. They have a vaccine that's approved for smallpox. Um, but that can also be used to treat uh, or to prevent rather monkeypox. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, 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 the Genios, um, the Bavarian Nordic, Nordic vaccine is thought to have a much milder side effect profile than the emergent biosolutions vaccine. And it's, it's also a lot newer. You know, one thing to note is that Bavarian Nordic's factory where they make this, the, where they make the bulk, bulk drug product, is actually shut down right now. Oh, <laughs> not great timing. Not <laughs> it, it's shut down until August. And, and once they open it, it sounds like it'll take about six months to get new doses off the re ready or new bulk product cleared out of the facility. Um, so very Nordic's not gonna be able to make new bulk substance until next year. Now that they do have a lot of bulk substance and doses made already, the US has 36,000 doses on hand and ask for 36,000 doses more. Bavarian or, and, and sorry, Bavarian Nordic, Nordic is sending them 36,000 doses more. Bavarian Nordic, Nordic has another million doses that belong to the U.S. that are completed. And it also owns drug substance that it made for the U.S. that it's holding that is enough to make 16 million more doses. So it's a lot. It's not 
ton. It's a lot. Bavarian Nordic itself only says it only owns enough bulk substance to make several million more doses. Um, that doesn't include other bulk substance already that it holds for other federal governments aside from the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, on their behalf. And in terms of um, the emergency emergent biosolutions vaccine the u.s has a million 100 million doses of this vaccine and, and they have that vaccine because you know smallpox is a uh you know a, a, has potential to be used as a bioweapon so so mm -hmm. the US has been prepared for that um and, and so that that is in the stockpile i think the calculations about distributing that widely you know are still being made I think the U.S. Is, has says it is it has distributed for use about a thousand doses of the two vaccines put together um, so far over the course of this outbreak. I think we're really still in the in the period of figuring out how widespread this is going to be and what kind of responses are going to be needed. Certainly, Bavarian Nordic has talked about getting outreach from a lot of countries interested in acquiring doses, um, but this is still you know an emerging picture. Well, it seems like a golden time for vaccine makers at the very least. It's, it's. I think we're learning over and over again the lesson of, of the importance of vaccines. Right, right, for sure. All right, I want to go on to um, some news about cancer treatments. Before I do, I'll remind listeners we're going to take some questions at the end of the call. So now's the time to type in what's been on your mind. Josh, the way I look at it, pharma and biotech investors can mark their calendars by the big conventions and conferences that take place over the course of every year. The ASCO conference, I think that stands for the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, took place this past weekend, and um, there's been a lot written about it. Usually the big news coming out of the conference is known somewhat in advance, but there's still lots of takeaways from the actual event. So what were some of the biggest takeaways for you? Yeah, I think um, as you say, this is this is a big a big conference. Lots of small updates, some big updates. You know, there weren't a ton of like major market reactions to these the to the to the news out of this conference. I would say one of the more promising results was from AstraZeneca. They have a drug called Inhertu, um, and it, they had really good results in a in a particular sort of breast cancer that analysts said could really broaden the use of Inhertu, particularly in in that in that type of breast cancer, Gilead also had pro positive data in a in a similar but not identical group of breast cancer patients patients with their drug Tradelvi. Analysts said that the inheritor data could actually limit Tradelvi's usage in that population. It seemed as though the inheritor data was a little bit better. Um, it's a little unclear to me. You know, they they aren't identical populations, different slightly different subtypes, but it seemed as though the takeaway was. Um, you know, really promising signs for Inheritu there. The other thing here worth noting, you know, we believe we'd spoken about this before on this call. Roche uh, had a study out in May about a, a cancer drug, a type of cancer drug it's developing called an anti-tigit. This is a, a category of drug that a number of companies are pursuing. Um, and what does tigit stand for? <laughs> I we'll come know. back to you there. Yeah, it's okay. uh, something, something. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a type of uh, antibody therapy. It's, like it's, okay. a, it's, 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 a, it's a particular checkpoint uh, receptor. I, I don't know what exactly the name. Um, anyway, the, the, the negative data that Roche put out raised questions about all of the anti-tickets under development, and in fact, the, the new data that that Roche released at ASCO about that trial um, sort of 
th- there had been some analysts who who thought there might be a silver lining in the data, but but this um, the, the fuller data that came out was not positive. So I think it it's raising broad questions about this technology uh, writ large. So is this mostly used to treat lung cancer? Have I got that right? Uh, this particular anti-ticket was being tested in lung cancer, I believe. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's it could be broadly applicable, but it is um, potentially not. Well, a bit disappointing, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. All right, moving on. Sage Therapeutics and its partner Biogen had some new data last week on their depression drug. We certainly need new and better drugs to treat depression. What's on offer from Sage? So this is a drug called Zoranolone that uh, they've been working on for a while. They've done a very large number of studies on it um, in, in um, major depressive disorder. And the, the most recent data was from a study on postpartum depression. They had done studies in postpartum depression before. I think analysts are not surprised by the results here, but it did show an improvement in depressive symptoms after 15 days um, in, in this population. There, there was a a, high, a lot of the patients reported sleepiness, which is not great, but but the, the the drug is designed for you only to be on it for a short period of time, so maybe that wouldn't be a huge deal. The company's plans are to apply for approval on major depressive disorder in the second half of this year, and then to ask for um, a, you know to expand that approval to include postpartum early next year. You know the the, the company the, the the question about Zoranolone is. Um, well, you know, there was a study in February in major depressive disorder where they gave Zoranolone alongside um, a standard of care antidepressant. And after three days, it showed there was more improvement if you added Zoranolone. Um, but over the course of two weeks, you know, the, the arm of the study that included Zoranolone and, and the arm of the study that was just the standard of care antidepressant plus a placebo, the difference kind of narrowed. So uh, investors didn't like that so much. The company said the point was to show that you could use it to accelerate the benefit, um, you know, to, to sort of close that gap between when the standard of care antidepressants kick in and, and and when you actually, you know, start the medication. I think the idea of this drug is that it's faster acting than standards of care. I think there's a lot of questions about the commercialization of this product, but it does seem more likely that it will get some approvals. Um, you know, well, that uh, sounds encouraging. Certainly for Sage, yeah. And, you know, I think the question for Biogen is whether this is enough to um, change well, investors' yeah. overall perspective on the company, which, you know, in the wake of the Alzheimer's situation, um, needs some repair. So uh, um, that, that might not might, might not be enough. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for I think for Biogen, investors are really waiting on the, um, the data that's going to come from their other Alzheimer's drug, Lucanumab, uh, sometime in the fall. So when you look back on the first half of the year, can you think of, um, say, the most exciting breakthrough or the most exciting um, drug to come on market? The most exciting? Yeah. And, um, well, look, I I mean, it's hard to not go back to the COVID antivirals and, and particularly Paxlovid. I, I suppose that was the end of the year last year I, that qualifies for I think the approval may have been early this year right I mean I, that just seemed like it's I mean it seemed and still seems like um sort of the solution in in, in the absence of vaccines that can offer 100 percent protection you know really the way to 
to get the world back to normal. Um, and, and, and that seems to be you know, the most impactful thing to me. Good point. You know, um, maybe in a later call, we'll, we will look back at some of the other developments this year beyond the COVID world. For sure. That's a good idea. Well, that'd be fun to do. So I want to go to some questions from listeners. Not surprising. They're mostly about COVID and COVID vaccine makers. So it's what's on everyone's minds. Chrisman asks, will the COVID-19 related healthcare companies become bearish or will investors become bearish on them after the current situation begins to ebb and the pandemic is relatively tame? Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I think that's the major debate here. And, and you know, the first question is whether the pandemic is or will be tamed. Um but I, I think that's the big debate, particularly around the the vaccine stocks, right? Um, you know, what what's going to happen to these um, to or to these stocks as uh, you know um, vaccine usage goes down and, and and awareness and focus on the the, the pandemic eases. Uh, I don't think there's an answer, but that's certainly you know you're asking the right question. Mm -hmm. Good to know. All right, we have a question from Steve. He wants to know, do you think COVID waves that come and go are likely to continue or will these waves be the trend for the next few years or are they finally going to wave goodbye to us? Yeah, we, I did a feature about this some number of weeks ago. I mean, as, as you say, I think many of us have had many moments where we expected reprieves that didn't come um, in terms of the you know level of virus. It, it does seem as though waves that come and go are characteristic of the course of this virus. I, I think people who try to make predictions about the course of COVID have proven themselves or found themselves wrong more often than they're right. So I, I won't try to make a prediction, but um, you can go back and look at the feature we did on this a few weeks ago. I, I think that um, you need to expect some some level of COVID coming and going for a long time. I think you and I are too young to know or to remember, but I wonder if the polio and smallpox viruses also had those waves before they finally were treated and expelled from the population. Yeah, I th well, wasn't wasn't polio seasonal? Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't I don't know exactly yeah. how the, the epidemiology was. But Steve, unfortunately, it looks like we we will be not through with the waves yet. So Srinivas asks, what do you think the outlook is for Moderna's stock for the New York term? Any thoughts there? Yeah, there, there was an interesting, <coughs> excuse me. There was an interesting note, uh, I believe yesterday from SVB securities analyst, Manny Forhar, who was talking about how, you know, he, he thinks that uh, Moderna needs to do some significant M&A to, you know, deploy their COVID windfall um, towards building their pipeline. I, I think that, um, you know, as with, with, with questions around the future usage of the vaccine continuing and, and, and being difficult to really, you know, know what's going to happen with these vaccines over the long term. Um, you know, I, I think it's hard to have immediate near-term confidence around Moderna, but, um, but Farrar sort of play, suggested that they should be doing some M&M. It's an interesting debate, interesting to watch. Okay. Very good. We have had a question about Veer Biotech's hepatitis B drug, the pipeline studies. I don't think that you have followed Veer closely lately, but- Yeah, I've, I unfortunately, I have not um, kept tabs on that program recently. Okay. 
something to look at in the future. We'll yeah, for sure. back to you at that point. Peter asks, how will hospitals adjust to the wind down of COVID, which as we've just said, may not be winding down, and the increase in labor costs? Well, I think the, the, the question of, you know, especially the nursing shortage and how hospitals will, will deal with that and remain staffed is a, is a major one, something we've been writing about for a long time. Uh, we had a feature on this, gosh, could, must have been many, many months ago. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the, these labor issues for, for hospitals are, are a major one and, um, and something to, to watch, watch closely. Well, part and parcel of labor issues for many parts of the economy. Yeah, but I think, you know, there's a particular yeah. shortage in, in, in skilled nursing, particularly um, as, uh, you know, there's a lot of retirement and shifting careers after the first part of the pandemic. Yeah, it's probably worth another deep dive at some point to look at yeah, the whole hospital economy. Um, Lee has asked whether you see any good buys in the pharma area, given that so much else in the market seems to be sinking lately. Um, yeah. What have, we, what have we written about that you're bullish on? You know, there there was a, not by me, but one of my colleagues wrote a, a bullish article on Bristol Myers last week that um, readers should uh, maybe two That was an ago. excellent story. I'm glad yeah, we should go back and take a look by, um, uh, I think that was last week's. Uh, right. That was Jacob Sonnenschein's piece on Bristol Myers. Yeah. Doc has good growth prospects and a good yield as well. So I think we're going to leave it at that. Thank you so much, Josh. As Thank always, you. I yeah. always learn a lot listening to you. I enjoy talking to you. I think our listeners do too. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in today. Tomorrow, the subject will be real estate, to renovate or to relocate. That, I suppose, is the question. Brandy Snowden, part of the Survey Research and Communications Group at the National Association of Realtors, will speak with Agent Frank Divaldevilso, sorry about that, of the Keys Company Luxury Portfolio International in South Florida, and with Mansion Global reporters Virginia K. Smith and Leslie Hendrickson, and they'll try to evaluate whether it is wiser to renovate or to relocate as you contemplate your next move in the property market. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.